Hello, and welcome back to Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. If you are near her, then hello, my name is Vicki, and this is where we talk about any true crimes, mysteries, or sandwiches that tickle my fancy. If you want to keep up with the podcast, you can follow the Instagram at Murder Sandwich, or follow any podcast streaming platform that you are listening on. I want to wish everyone a happy new year. I hope everyone enjoyed their new year so far. We're pretty close yeah, Bob Saget died yesterday, so... <laughs> so sad. It is sad. I had a nap and I woke up and he was dead, and I was like, what the shit? <laughs> That's the worst. I did take a little break over the holidays, so thank you, everyone, for your patience. I needed a little <laughs> creative break. It was the worst. It was very long. <laughs> so I do apologize, but I have some great cases to cover this year, and I can't wait to work on the podcast, so... Stay tuned for all things Murder Sandwich. Today is the first episode of 2022, and we are going to be covering the infamous story of John Bonnet Ramsey. And joining me today is Nikki. Oh, do I say my name now? <laughs> Just say hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> so, with that, go grab a turkey and gravy sandwich melt and let's mow down on some true crime. So Jean Bonnet Patricia Ramsey was born on August 6th, 1990. So she's only a year younger than me. And she was born in Atlanta, Georgia in the United States. Now Jean Bonnet's parents were Patricia Ramsey, who we're just going to call Patsy, and then John Bennett Ramsey. So yeah, she was named after her dad, basically. And her mom, I guess, Patricia. Hmm. Yeah. So Patsy and John also had an older son named Burke. He was three years older than Jean Bonnet. So we're going to backtrack. We'll talk about John and Patsy a little bit. So John was born on December 7th, 1943 in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he was actually like a pretty successful businessman. He actually did have a first marriage who was to Lucinda Pash from 1966 to 1978. And they had three children together. And nothing crazy happened. They just divorced. (laughs) Those kids are still alive? They are still alive. Actually... One of them is not alive anymore. One of them died in a car accident in 1992. Was the dad anywhere near it? Actually, I didn't look that up, but I don't think so. In 1989, he formed the Advanced Product Group, and that was one of the three companies that merged into Access Graphics. And then he became the president and the chief executive of Access Graphics. And in 1996, Axis Graphics actually grossed over $1 billion, and Ramsey was actually named Entrepreneur of the Year by the Boulder, Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Wow. So he was quite wealthy, did very well in his field. And so Patsy, she was born on December 29th, 1956, which is the same year as my mom, in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And she was an American beauty pageant winner. And she actually won the Miss West Virginia pageant at age 20 in 1977. And her sister actually won a different one like a couple years later. So they're like a family of beauty pageant winners. So Patsy was 23 when she married John, who was 37. So there's a little bit of an age gap there. And they got married on November 5th, 1980. And then in 1991, that's when Patsy, John Burke, and John Bonet all moved from Atlanta, Georgia to Boulder, Colorado. And that's where we are now. (laughs) (laughs) So that's a really quick summary of before the events that do take place. Now, this case is very, very, very popular. So I 
there might not be a lot of people listening to this that don't already know the details. So, I, like me, yeah, <laughs> I don't know the details. <laughs> I'm very intrigued. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so December 25th, 1996, this is when the Ramsey family attended a Christmas party and they're at their family friend's house, the Whites, which is like Fleet and Priscilla, and then they have some kids. So John Bonet got a bike for Christmas this year, and that's what she opened at the Whites, and she was playing with it, yada yada. And then they return home from the party, and John Bonet goes to bed immediately. Now, it is said that she actually fell asleep on the car on the way home, and John carried her in. To the house. So Boulder, Colorado's population around this time was only about like 90,000 people. So it's like just an average sized city. And the house that they live in is a very large mansion. It's actually 11,000 square feet. Jesus. Yes. <laughs> and it's a historic home. It was built in 1927. It has a basketball court, a pond and some mountain views. I know. So jealous. Lots of places to hide a body then. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> and actually, um, currently no one has actually lived in the house for the past eight years, but it's been owned by the same person for quite some time. Oh. There, everyone's asleep. It's Christmas night. 5.30 in the morning. This is now Boxing Day, December 26. Patsy wakes up and goes downstairs to start some coffee because they're actually going to Michigan at 7 a.m. on like a family trip. So she's up pretty early. And as she's going downstairs, she discovers a two and a half page handwritten ransom note on the back stairs that are leading to the kitchen. Okay. I heard somewhere because I did listen to a few <laughs> podcasts about this just to get some insider info. But like to sit and write a two and a half page note would take like 20, I don't know. 21 minutes. minutes. Yeah. That's nuts. And who's going to sit there and write a 21 page note in the kitchen? <laughs> I don't, I don't like, that's the, actually the one concept of this that just, I can't get my head around is yeah. who would honestly write that. It's so long. I'm going to read it. Like in I'm the history of all time, has anyone ever no. <laughs> found a ransom note the, that was that long? The FBI actually came out and said, like, this is one of the only reported cases where they found the ransom note that, that was that long. Mm -hmm. That was written at the place and left there. That's nuts. It's like the only one. Because when you're, when you're kidnapping someone, would you spend that time? Like, no, you want to be no. in and out. So. Hmm. So this is what the letter contains, just so – and I actually – I wrote it out exactly how it said. So there might be some sentences that, like, are missing some grammar or something, but that's that's how it was written. Listen carefully. We are a group of individuals that represent a small foreign fraction. We respect your business, but not the country it serves. At this time, we have your daughter in our possession. She is safe and unharmed, and if you want her to see 1997, you must follow our instructions to the letter. You will withdraw $118,000 from your account. $100,000 will be in $100 bills, and the remaining $18,000 in $20 bills. Make sure that you bring an adequate size attache to the bank. When you get home, you will put the money in a brown paper bag. I will call you between 8 and 10 a.m. tomorrow to instruct you on delivery. The delivery will be exhausting, so I advise you to be rested. If we monitor you getting the money early to arrange an earlier delivery of the money and hence an early pickup of your daughter, any deviation of my instructions results in the immediate execution of your daughter. You will also be denied her remains for proper burial. The two gentlemen watching over your daughter do not particularly like you, so I advise you not to provoke them. Speaking to anyone about your situation, such as police, FBI, etc., will result in your daughter being beheaded. If we catch you talking to a stray dog, she dies. 
If the money is in any way marked or tampered with, she dies. You will be scanned for electronic devices, and if any are found, she dies. You can try to deceive us, but be warned that we are familiar with law enforcement countermeasures and tactics. You stand a 99% chance of killing your daughter if you try to outsmart us. Follow our instructions, and you stand a 100% chance of getting her back. You and your family are under constant scrutiny, as well as the authorities. Don't try to grow a brain, John. You are not the only fat cat around, so don't think that killing will be difficult. Don't underestimate us, John. Use that good southern common sense of yours. It is up to you now, John. Victory. S-B-T-C. Okay, just have a question though. Like, why the specific $118,000? So that was actually exactly John's bonus that year. Huh. Exactly. To like the dollar, which is very unusual, I would say. Like if you were subconsciously thinking of a number and that just popped into your head because... (laughs) Totally. That's the, that's the, yeah, like one, isn't, to me, that would be pretty private information. If you're the president and chief executive of your company, yeah. I'm assuming your bonus is pretty private information. I don't think that would be public information. Or maybe they're trying to make it look or sound like it's somebody that knows him. But even that, like, would you go around telling people, like, I don't go around telling people, hey, I got so-and-so for my bonus this year. Woo. Yeah. Like... And even to be that specific, like maybe if you were to say it, you could be like, oh, I got like a hundred grand. Like to be so specific to say 118. Okay. I didn't know that. That's very interesting. It is very interesting. (laughs) So we will get into more details of the letter later on, but as we did state already, the letter was found, like it was written on a pad of paper found inside the house and it was written with a pen that was also found in the house and both were located in John's office. Mm. There's also a first draft of the letter that was also found in the kitchen. Didn't they like put the pen back exactly where they got it from? Yeah. And And you can see the letter online and you can see that they like crossed out some words and like they did the whole like add a small word on top and then put an arrow. So there was like mistakes um, in the letter. So it is like suggested that it was written pretty freehand. Crap, I put 120,000. I meant to put 118. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The small foreign fraction is this weird. And then yeah. like the speech that they use, like a attache. Yeah. But also, why do you care how they're getting the money to and from? You just want the money. Like that seems very specific to like tell them the instructions on how to do it. Like, <laughs> yeah. And they also didn't mention Jean Benet by name. They just said your daughter the whole time. And they also never mentioned Patsy, just John. But didn't they say that their writing looked very similar to Patsy's? Yes. Mm -hmm. So they did test the Ramses. Mm -hmm. John came back totally, it's not his at all. They actually tested Burke's as well. Mm -hmm. And his came back. And Patsy's actually, like, it could actually be hers. Which, like, I don't, like, how accurate is that, like, testing your writing? Because, like, I mean, there's got to be lots of people that are... Similar in their writing style. Totally. I think it matters like on the pressure that you also write with, right? But I don't know. That's just from my CSI watching is when they do (laughs) all the handwritten stuff. So (laughs) So after, right after Patsy reads this note, she calls 911. 
this note and it told me not to contact anybody, I probably wouldn't phone the police right away. I don't think so, personally. I don't know. If they said, like, my daughter was gonna die if I contacted the police and they were watching me, like, I might take a hot minute to (laughs) think about my options and... Yeah. I don't know. I guess, like, I don't know. Well, I'll get into my opinion later, but yeah, I agree that I think some of the choices that were made were a little weird. It's really weird that Patsy hangs up so quickly in that 911 call. Statistically, people stay on the phone with 911 until the police arrive. I think that would just be a comfort thing too, right? Because you know you've got somebody there. Totally. Just in case. And she never refers to JonBenet as JonBenet. She just says your daughter again. Mm-hmm. Just like in the Ramson now. Hmm. Which I don't know if those two are combined, but it is weird that she's like blonde, six years old, doesn't like say her name. It's just weird to me. And there are investigators who have analyzed this phone call as Patsy does hang up the phone, as it doesn't fully disconnect. Mm-hmm. It's like an older style. And you can hear a voice at the end that is believed to be John saying, we're not speaking to you. And that's before Patsy says, what did you do? Help me, Jesus. And then it is said that Burke responds and says, what did you find? So it, this is very weird because to this day, Patsy and John said that Burke was not awake since he went to bed. He stayed in his bedroom until police arrived. Hmm. So I don't know about that. But they have his voice on. They believe it's his voice. It's pretty far away. Yeah. But yeah. So 6 a.m., police officer Rick French arrives at the home and does just a preliminary search of the outside of the home, finds there are absolutely no signs of forced entry upon the house. And when he searches the basement, uh, he didn't look in the room where John Benet's body would later be found. He states that he just paused at the entryway and was just looking for exit routes. So he just didn't investigate further into that room. Hmm. Weird. So right at this point, Patsy had started calling all her family and friends, advising them that John Benet had gone missing. <laughs> so the Whites, where they were at their house the night before, they show up. This is Priscilla and Fleet. And they also have the Ramsey family minister. And then they also invite their family friends, the Fernies. <laughs> Just a big party. It's just a big party. <laughs> so at this point, only John Benet's room had been taped off. So because everyone else, like everyone thought that she was abducted. So they only taped off her actual room. Were the police not saying like, hey, maybe don't come into this crime scene? No. Oh. 
No. So everyone was just wandering around. Like, everyone. So John is actually preparing the ransom at this point. Um, a forensic team has been dispatched to the house. But at this point, there's only, like, maybe one or two police officers there because it's Boxing Day and they're, like, totally skeleton staff. So... They just, John Bonnet, December 26th, that was their first murder in Boulder, Colorado that entire year. Wow. So just like... (laughs) So it's not like they have a lot of experience anyway? No, like definitely no experience on this. So John's preparing the ransom. This forensics team has been dispatched to the house because of the phone call that they're expecting. And Burke is sent off to a family friend's house so he doesn't have to experience anything. So, 8 o'clock in the morning, Boulder detective Linda Arndt arrives, and she's anticipating this ransom call. And Priscilla White has gone into the kitchen at this time and starts cleaning and wiping down everything (laughs) and the countertops, destroying evidence, assuming. Yeah. So, John and Fleet are just walking amongst the house, and they're in the basement, (laughs) and John finds that there's an open window in the basement, which was previously broken. It didn't, like, completely latch or something like that. And there was a suitcase under the window that looks like it would, like, assist the person to get out the window because it's mm-hmm. in the basement. It's, like, kind of, you know, on the ceiling or whatever. Yeah. So investors quickly noticed, though, that there was cobwebs around the window. Like, no one had actually left the window. <laughs> yeah. Like, Charlotte's chilling, chilling outside still. <laughs> <laughs> So 10 a.m. comes and there's no phone calls from these kidnappers. Like there's not even nothing. And it is reported that John and Patsy like didn't really care. Like they were stressed, but they weren't like focused on the fact that there was no ransom call. They were just seemed to be stressed about their daughter missing, but not about that. Like there was just no focus on that. Almost like maybe they knew it wasn't coming. Yeah. Anyway, that's my opinion. Just Interesting. Saying. Yeah. So 1 p.m. rolls it around and Detective Arndt, you know, she's like, okay, let's try to figure out what's going on here. So she's like, John. (laughs) After the kitchen's been cleaned. Yeah, after the kitchen's been cleaned. There's footprints everywhere. Yeah. So she goes to John and Fleet and she's like, hey, you know what? Let's search this house for anything amiss. Let's see if anything's stolen or out of place. Start from the top bottom. And John and Fleet were like, yeah, we got you. And then they just directly head to the basement. Hmm. And John immediately opens this weird, like, wine cellar type latched door. And this is where the Christmas presents were actually kept in for Christmas. So this room has only been empty for, like, what, two days, maybe? And, like, this house is built in the 1920s. So the house, like, has lots of walls. It's, like, labyrinth. I think we all know the type. Anyway, John opens the door. And Fleet says that before he even turns on the light, John goes, oh, my God. And there's John Bonet. So JonBenet is laying on the floor. Her mouth is covered in duct tape. A nylon cord is found around her wrists and neck. And her torso is covered by a white blanket and a Colorado avalanche sweatshirt. And so John immediately picks up JonBenet's body and carries her upstairs and lays her beneath the Christmas tree. And him and Patsy just fall to the floor and are screaming and obviously very upset about their daughter's body being found. Now, the coroner didn't show up for a really long time because no one contacted him right away, which is weird. He actually found about it, like, through another, like, co-worker. Anyway, he didn't come until, like, 10.45 p.m. to remove her body. Which is, I don't know, this is weird. But it's also, is it not weird that they decided to, like, throw her underneath the Christmas tree? I think that part is very weird, yeah. Like, why would you just lay her under the Christmas tree? 
Like, if that's your daughter, like, wouldn't you want to... I don't know. I would think I'd be clutching her <laughs> and, like, holding her. Or I don't know, but... I don't know. It, I, the, it, the behavior is just weird. like I want to display my daughter for everyone to see. Look, she's dead. Yeah. Like, what? Hmm. This is very unusual. Yeah. I wouldn't... I don't know if I... I think... Obviously, you would probably hug your daughter where she's found, but to pick her up and move her, I think, is something different. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also hard, like, maybe they're just really did everything wrong, and, you know, it's just a shitty thing that happened when all these things went wrong, and it's, like, the perfect storm to point fingers at these people. But, I mean, it is really fucking weird. <laughs> it, it is very fucking weird. So after John Bonet's body is actually found, John was overheard on the phone planning a trip to Atlanta on a private jet that night, and he was going to take Patsy and Burke. So the police actually overheard him and was like, yeah, so, like, please don't leave the city right now. Like, your daughter was just found dead in your house. Let's get into the autopsy. (laughs) Let's just segue right into there. So an autopsy was obviously conducted, and it did reveal that JonBenet's cause of death was strangulation and a skull fracture. The official cause of death, asphyxia by strangulation associated with a cranial cerebral trauma. So JonBenet had long blonde hair, and they were in two ponytails, one at the top of their head and one below it, like a half up down style. She had green eyes and was wearing a small gold ring on one of her fingers, and she had a heart written on red ink on her left hand. She was found in a long sleeve white shirt with sequined silver star on her chest, and the autopsy did say her underwear was soiled with urine, so later that was due to her wetting the bed that night. John Bonet did have abrasions on the side of her face, between her ear and her jaw, and there were also marks that suggest that a taser gun was used, but they never recovered one at the scene, and so this was never actually proven. So it gets brought up a few times in theories, but we don't know if that actually happened. So there was no evidence of rape, but there was some sort of sexual assault that could have happened like it wasn't ruled out because there wasn't any semen found but they found evidence that her vaginal area had actually been wiped down with a cloth now there was evidence that she may have experienced sexual trauma the day prior as well but they can't prove that and then there was a couple of blood drops found on her underwear so a a garret or garrot i've heard both of them said mm-hmm. it's some type of weapon. It's usually handheld and it's used to assist with strangulation. So they found one next to her body and it was made from this nylon cord and then part of a broken handle of a paintbrush. And this was actually the paintbrush was matched to one that was in Patsy's art supplies, but it was actually broken into three pieces. So the bristle part was found in Patsy's art supplies, and then part of the handle was found next to her body, but that third piece has never been recovered. Hmm. Weird. Autopsy. Awful way to die. Awful. Yeah. I know. It's very sad. That's why I'm trying to rush through it. Yeah. <laughs> the autopsy also revealed that most likely pineapple was undigested in her body, which she had just eaten probably before she died. They did find a bowl of pineapple in the kitchen that was actually covered in Burke's fingerprints. Although it is reported again that he went to sleep that night and never exited his room. 
So she did have a head wound, like we said before, and it was an eight and a half inch fracture on her skull, but that was not actually the primary cause of death. This has been highly suggested that it was a flashlight that was found in the kitchen because the Ramses said that it wasn't theirs. And so they took it as evidence, but it had wouldn't been it had been wiped down probably by Priscilla, who was cleaning <laughs> the kitchen. So because of all of this, wipes down though, like a flashlight. Like even if I was cleaning the kitchen and somebody had a flashlight on their kitchen, I wouldn't just wipe down the flashlight. Priscilla's an idiot. Hmm. I think we can all say that Priscilla's a fucking idiot. Yeah, I would have been fucking livid if one of my friends showed up and had the absolute audacity to not only go in and clean my kitchen without consulting me, maybe I'm just very type A and I just, the idea of that, yeah, yeah, kills me. But like to do that in such the most, like you're dumb. Oh, my friend's daughter is missing. I'm going to go, like, I understand she wanted to probably be nice, but like, wake up and smell the murder, Priscilla. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like my fuck. So this was 1996, so the DNA wasn't very prominent back when the crime occurred. But in December 2003, investigators were able to extract enough material from a mixed blood sample on JonBenet's underwear to establish a DNA profile. The DNA belonged to an unknown male person and excluded the DNA of each of the Ramses. And there were also no matches in the system that they have ever matched it to. Hmm. Interesting. So in 2016, a report actually came out about new forensic analysis with more sensitive techniques. And so it actually revealed that the original DNA contained genetic markers from two individuals other than JonBenet. This gets like... But still nobody nobody else from the family? No one else from the family. Mm. I know. Very weird. So a lead investigator for the DA's office, James Kohler, he did state that there were additional traces of male DNA found on the cord and the paintbrush. But this other Boulder district attorney named Lacey, she didn't want to mention that at all. But there were actually six separate DNA samples belonging to unknown individuals and were found by this test. Now, there are very conflicting opinions about this because many experts think that this is the DNA of the killer, while others say that there just are a lot of ways to trace DNA, especially on retail items like that. So it doesn't really prove that this was like an intruder murder. And I don't really know how I feel about it either, because I recently read a case where like some lady's DNA was found on like all of these items belonging with a murder. She actually just worked at the factory where it was like made. Oh, so, I don't know. But also, I think you'd notice blood spots on the underwear that you bought your daughter. Totally. Would you not? <laughs> I don't know. Or you'd wash them. Before. Well, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Mm-hmm. There's so much that goes into their DNA, and, like, you can really, like, dive into that. But there's so conflicting opinions. Like, even the district attorneys that are involved in this case, the reason why some of them quit and got hired and moved over is because half of them were pissed that they were doing the f- or family theory and the other half were pissed they're doing the intruder <laughs> theory. So no one can really agree on what they should focus on. And so I think the DNA is like also a reflection of that is people are like, no, like there's six people. Oh, there's two people. Like, why didn't this district attorney Lacey want to mention that there was six? Mm-hmm. Like why? But like, why? Because maybe she doesn't believe in that science and like maybe there's more there. So I don't really know what to think about the DNA. Maybe she was paid off $118,000. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Honestly. So. So like we said, this a case has basically two theories. 
There's the family theory, and then there's the intruder theory. So we're going to talk about the investigation, and then we're just going to dive into both of those theories. So this is just simply about what they found in the investigation, which is not as long as you think it would be. Because, yeah. Because <laughs> there was no crime scene by the time they got investigating. <laughs> no, it, there was no crime scene. So on December 31st, 1996, this is when John Benny's funeral was held. She was buried next to her older half-sister, Elizabeth, who, like I said earlier, died in a tragic car accident in 1982. And there was about 200 family and friends who attended the ceremony, so it was pretty big. And the entire house at this point of the Ramses was scoured for whatever evidence is left. And they did find over a thousand pieces of evidence, but how many of that is contaminated and tainted, right? So they did find an unknown boot print in the room that John Bonet was found in. That's essentially the only piece of strong physical evidence they have. They did find a first draft ransom note in the kitchen. And that is totally confirmed that the ransom note came from John's office, the pad and the pen. Also, who does a first draft of a ransom note while you're there? I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, like Nikki mentioned earlier... The letter does have an average time of an average writer, 21 minutes. And so this means that the ransom note was written inside the house either before or after the murder. So if you think about it, like, yes, the note says that they were abducted. But like, in my opinion, John Bonnet was not ever left the house. She did not leave the house and return. Mm. She was killed there. So they did test John and Patsy's writing for analysis, as well as a bunch of others. And John was ruled out. But yeah, Patsy's was inconclusive, which basically means like, she's not 100% that she wrote it. But there is a chance that like, maybe she was trying to hide her writing, and then she could have written it. So it's not completely wrong. Up to this point, police had never really separated the family and gathered their statements. There was like slight statements gathered on the day of but they're not really official, like not a concrete timeline, like A to B. The Ramses just claimed they were too emotional to speak and they kept delaying the police. But on January 1st, 1997, so this is just the day after John Bonnie's funeral, Patsy and John actually sat down and gave a New Year's interview on CNN. But also, sorry, they were too emotional to speak, but he was okay booking a holiday for that evening to fly away with his family. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. So this interview you can find online. It's 45 minutes long. I Ooh. didn't I didn't rewatch it recently, but like I've seen it a few times. It's very interesting to see like how they react, um, for sure. But the Ramses did state later that they just had a fear if they spoke to police that they would be targeted but that makes no sense to me because i feel like they were targeted nonetheless <laughs> so like their behavior is just not normal they can't speak to the police but they can do an interview on cnn <laughs> which is like national television yeah. at this point of the interview though they were actually already in atlanta so they did not listen to police and they had left. Like not even a week later, they were gone. So Patsy had even gone on this television show on CNN and warned the residents of Boulder that there was a killer on the loose. And she also added that, and I quote, America is suffering because they have lost faith in the American family. And that was actually her talking about the OJ Simpson case. That was the year before. Hmm. Very weird. Very weird. So five months after John Bonet is killed is when they are finally able to sit down John and Patsy and finalize their statements to police. How do they even let them get away with that? 
They even followed them to Atlanta at one point, and they still wouldn't sit down. That was the first time that they were ever separated. John was interviewed for two hours and Patsy was interviewed for six. So they obviously thought that there was... Did they ever release those? Uh, No. Hmm. So these statements were going to replace the really bad ones that they got the day of the murder. So shortly after they finalized their statements with police, like literally a couple weeks later, they sat down with local media again. Sorry, a few days later. Mm -hmm. And this in this interview, John stumbles over his words almost the entire time, even stumbles over John Benny's name, hmm. which honestly, that can go either way. That could be grief. That could be how like a million things. But he it, he did stumble over his words and he addresses the rumors of molestation, saying that they are hurtful innuendos. And then Patsy does state in this interview that she straight up did not kill John Benet. This is also the same interview that they offered a $100,000 reward for information on who killed their daughter. Not 118? No, not 118. <laughs> but also, you know what? The thing is, if my kid was just murdered, or anybody in my family, I'm not leaving my house. Like, I am in grief, and I'm probably, like, crying in the couch and not wanting to move. And these guys just up and leave and... Yeah, it's very weird to me, like, why you wouldn't stay and rally to you know, find out who killed your daughter. And like, I understand like maybe feeling like unsafe in your home, but like you have family and friends yeah. and like, you're very wealthy. You could, you could get a hotel. Um, what was it, the purpose of going to Atlanta? They're from there. I think they just have ties mm-hmm. there. Right. So, and then lots of people do critique them on the hundred thousand dollar reward because they're like really wealthy. Like if your bonus is $118,000, you're making like a lot of money a year. So people thought that it was too low, which I don't know how I feel about that. I think a reward, I don't think you can justify an amount for a reward, mm-hmm. right? Like whatever. $100,000 is a lot of money. Yeah. So. Sure. <laughs> So January 15th, 1998, this is now, you know, we're a little bit later now. John and Patsy now are declining to participate in a second interview with detectives. Now I'm going to remind you, I said January 15th, 1998. So this is another nine months after they've interviewed (laughs) the first time and they still won't do a second interview. So their reason for declining is because they won't cooperate unless police allow them to review all the evidence in the case. And they're, like, prime suspects, so the police are like, no. No. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no. I just, like, yeah, like, that whole, like... (laughs) We'd like to see what you have on us. uh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So then maybe we can adjust our statement in the second interview. Yeah, exactly. So... As you probably can tell, this entire investigation was just not done properly from the beginning. The scene was absolutely contaminated immediately by family and friends. There was loss of evidence, lack of staff, and also the lack of getting proper statements delayed the case just absolutely immensely. So this was also, like I said, the first murder in Boulder, Colorado that year. And it's like they only had seven or what, five days left and they would have gone the whole year with no murder. On top of that, like discussed before, there was insane internal conflict with the Boulder Police Department and the district attorney's office. Basically, the pressure to convict was just ridiculously strong from the DA's office. So the Colorado governor at the time, Roy Romer, he actually interceded and he named Michael Jane as a special prosecutor and he forced Michael Jane to initiate a grand jury. 
So March 12th, 1998, 15 months have passed since the murder and a grand jury investigation is called. So this grand jury, it also allows for the interview of Burke and he's now 11. And this is actually basically his first interview sitting down with police since the murder of his younger sister. So I find that really interesting that he wasn't interviewed because they found his fingerprints on that bowl of pineapple. And I thought Mm. they would have wanted like his side of the story as, as to why it was there. And they didn't get that till this interview, which is just weird. He did have a few weird things to say in the interview. It's also recorded and you can also find it online. He's kind of like sitting weird in the chair, like really casual. And, you know, people say that Burke was really jealous of his younger sister because she was like a beauty pageant queen. She got her hair dyed and makeup done. She was like, I'm sure everyone's seen a photo of her, honestly. She's a very pretty young girl. And he was just like, oh, Burke Ramsey. Like, Patsy, like, lived and breathed and died for Mm -hmm. Jean Benet. So I think Burke probably felt a little left out. Do they not have pageants for little boys? I don't think they have pageants for little boys. Maybe now they do, but Maybe. not in 1996. That's true, yeah. Poor Burke. I know. So before the grand jury investigation started, two lead investigators resigned. One because they believed that they were focusing on the family more than a possible intruder. And the other one was because the DA interfered and didn't support police. But there was no signs of an intruder. Yeah. <laughs> So, so grand jury, they are now considering indicting the Ramsey for charges relating to the case. That's their whole goal. So in 1999, the grand jury returned a true bill to charge the Ramseys with placing the child at risk in a way that led to her death and also with obstructing an investigation of murder. So DA Alex Hunter decided to not prosecute them, though, for these charges because he didn't believe that he could prove the guilt beyond a reasonable doubt and actually get a criminal conviction. Which I think is totally fair. Those charges would be really hard to prove. Yeah. Especially with just the shitty ass evidence and yeah. all that shit that they didn't do. Like, how are you supposed to... From what I just presented to you, I I couldn't prove that. Do you know what I mean? Like, how do we really know that they... You don't, but I mean, evidence strongly suggests... <laughs> exactly. They could possibly, in my opinion, <laughs> have potentially something to do with it. Totally. So Mary Lacey, that I mentioned her before, she's the one that didn't want to talk about those six samples of DNA. She took over the investigation from the police in 2002. So in 2006, she came forward and actually agreed with a federal judge that the evidence actually did suggest that an intruder murdered John Bonet and that it was not Mrs. Ramsey. Because at this point, everyone was pointing fingers at Mrs. Ramsey. Why? We'll get to it. Okay. So in 2008, Lacey actually publicly exonerated the Ramseys due to the DNA sampling and the testing techniques. And she stated, and this is a direct quote, the Boulder District Attorney's Office does not consider any member of the Ramsey family, including John, Patsy, or Burke Ramsey as suspects in this case. We make this announcement now because we have recently obtained this new scientific evidence that adds significantly to the ex exculpatory value of the previous scientific evidence. We do so with full appreciation for the other evidence in this case. Local, national, and even international publicity has focused on the murder of John Bonnet Ramsey. Many members of the public came to believe that one or more of the Ramseys, including her mother or father or even her brother, were responsible for this brutal homicide. Those suspicions were not based on evidence that has been tested in court. Rather, they were based on evidence reported by the media.
And you not doing your job. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so we're going to jump into the theories now. So the first one we're going to go is the family theory. This one is the most popular, but we are obviously going to go over both. But this is just insanely popular on the internet. So this theory actually does have a lot of supporting evidence because it was the main focus of the police investigation. And their main focus was John and Patsy Ramsey. Although if you go on the internet, Burke is like a huge main focus now that like social media has come and da 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 da. So there was no evidence found ever of forced entry into the home, but the ransom note seems staged from the beginning, in my opinion, and the nature that it was written. Now, there have been insane amount of documentaries and videos breaking down this note, but I don't know about you. The main takeaways for me is literally the exact cost of the bonus, which was just not public information. Like, it makes no sense. It doesn't make sense, though. Also, to, like, spend that much time writing the note and then also know where to find the pen and paper and then go put the pen and paper back where you found it. And the draft. Mm -hmm. It also seems so weirdly written to me and... Yeah, I don't, it just, the whole thing seems staged. The, how it was, how it was written, like the language seems all over the place. Yeah. Like there is spelling mistakes, but then like complicated words, in my opinion, like words that are not like very known. Attache. Attache. Like who uses that word? Like a bank yeah. bag? It's called a bank bag. <laughs> and also to outline everything, like I found that odd, like. You have to take, make sure you take a bag big enough to fit the money when you go to the bank. Like, yeah, like why would you spend the time to write those details on when you could just say those details mm -hmm. in the ransom call? Mm -hmm. You'd want this to be as short. Say, Get me my money, bitch. Yeah, like literally, like, <laughs> I have your daughter. Yeah. I will call you from 8 to 10. Do not contact police. Victory. <laughs> like, whatever you want to put at the end. It made no sense. No. 21 minutes? You're joking. And that's an average person writing. If they're writing a first draft, that means that they spent time on the first draft and then wrote the final draft. Mm -hmm. So they spent at least half an hour. But also who writes a first draft for a ransom note? Like, who <laughs> does that? I don't know. So the first theory suggesting it was someone in the family is that it was Patsy. And what they think happened with her is that she struck a JonBenet in a fit of rage after a bedwetting episode. It is reported that JonBenet was wetting the bed a little bit more frequently lately, and it was causing quite the headache for Patsy. The issue with this theory is Patsy literally, there's never, like, not one person ever in Patsy's life has ever said that she ever was violent or had an angry streak or, like, no one had ever even seen her, like, mad. Okay. So people are like, that just doesn't seem that like her. That was going to be my next question, because I was going to say, how is her relationship to her daughter? Great. Like, Patsy, like, literally, br like, would breathe... Or mm -hmm. the ground that she walked on or whatever yeah. that seems. <laughs> Halfway of me saying it, I was like, I can't even remember what it is. But okay. no, she was totally obsessed with her. Like yeah. beauty pageant kind of style. Like she totally like, I don't know. Worshipped. Yeah, worship. Yeah. Like people could say it was maybe unhealthy, but mm -hmm. I personally don't believe in this theory. Well, pageant moms are crazy. I know they are nuts. So the fact that Jean Benet was struck on the head and also strangled does lead to the theory out there that she was struck first and was assumed dead. And then at some point when they were trying to cover it up, realized that she wasn't. And so they strangled her because it was like kind of too late. Yeah. I think that theory is obviously like, it seems the most logical to me because I don't see why both injuries would occur any other way. I hate to think about it because I think it's really sad. Are John and Patsy still together? 
Patsy is actually deceased. Oh, okay. So we'll go over that. Okay. I was just wondering if their like marriage broke down after this. No, they were together up until her death. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Investigators have never once considered Burke as a suspect. He is very popular as a suspect. Well, how old was he? He was three years older, so he was nine. Mm. Yeah. The Burke theory is that he was sitting up at night eating his favorite sack, which is pineapple and milk, and that John Bonet woke up after wetting the bed. And she went downstairs, ate some pineapple, and then there was some sort of disagreement between them. And then Burke struck John Bonet on the head with that flashlight, and then the parents covered it up. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. The that theory was presented in a CBS show in 2016 called The Case of John Bonet. Ramsey and later Burke actually filed a $950 million defamation suit against them. And uh I actually watched that show and that yeah, it's very bad. Did he win? Um yeah, he did one win, but the, the settlement they never released like what the settlement was. But I watched that show. It's very biased. Like they're really focusing on Burke as the suspect. Yeah. But what it was is his answer about the pineapple when they asked him. Just that was his snack. And he just left it on the table? Yeah, basically. Yeah, he's never ever admitted that John Bonet like woke up or that he was there or anything mm. like that. He didn't hear his mom screaming on the phone. Apparently not. But I don't really know the layout of the house. So maybe That's true, yeah. Maybe it's like really big. Mm. I don't know about you. I I do personally think that it was someone in the family. Mm-hmm. That's my opinion. I don't know how it happened, but I just don't know how someone got in and then yeah. her being there for so long and then there's no evidence of anyone ever leaving either. Yeah. So it just seems to me that it was someone inside the house. Did they were they able to tell like how long she had been dead? Was it before the 10 a.m. deadline? Can't find it anywhere. Oh. So I'm not sure. She had undigested pineapple in her body. So she ate it a, at least a couple hours, mm. up to two hours before she died. Yeah. But also, like, wouldn't you have heard? So, well, I guess, I don't know. Again, the house is... There's carpet all over the house. Yeah. And it's 11,000 square feet. Yeah. And I don't really know the layout. Like, where's her, where's their parents' bedroom in relation? Like, if they went in, if someone grabbed John Bonet and took her somewhere else in the house, it's probably not far until someone can't hear you. That's probably the basement is. Maybe the intruder was still in the house when they found her. You never know. If you go that theory. No one really looked around. <laughs> no. So, so that's the family theory. You know, it's a good theory. It is a good theory. There's a couple good ones in there, um, for sure. But the intruder theory is interesting. There's a lot of different ones, so we'll dive into that. There were some early people of interest for the intruder theory. One of them was named Bill McReynolds. He actually played Santa Claus for John Bunny three years in a row. A former family housekeeper named Linda Hoffman Pugh, and then a man named Michael Helgoth, who died of apparent suicide shortly after John Bunny's death. So we'll jump into these. So Lou Smith, he's one of the investigators who resigned that believed in the intruder theory. He stated that there had been two windows that were left slightly open to allow for electrical cords for the Christmas lights. And then that broken basement window, and they actually did leave a door unlocked. His theory is that someone entered the Ramsey home through the broken basement window, highly criticized due to the window being completely undisturbed. And then the intruder subdued John Bonet using a stun gun, took her down to the basement, and then John Bonet was then killed and a ransom note was left. As said, the house was full of carpet, so it would be quiet to, quieter to get around. 
And although Smith resigned, he continued to work on this case until his death in 2010. And he always stuck to that theory. Why would they leave a ransom note if they already killed her? Exactly. It's <laughs> the part that that's what I don't get. That's why I think the ransom note, if we're going to go with the intruder theory, the ransom note had to have been written before mm-hmm. the murder. Because it makes no sense if it was written after. Because if it was written after, then they're not even going to get the money. Like, the whole purpose of her being dead with the intruder theory is for the money. Yeah. And they never even called to get the money. No. <laughs> so. Well, they couldn't call because they were in the room with the... <laughs> <laughs> with, with, yeah, exactly. Uh, Stephen Singular, he actually wrote a book called Presumed Guilty, an investigation into the John Bonet Ramsey case, the media and the culture of pornography, which was published in 2016. So Stephen refers that in this book that there are cyber crime specialists out there who actually believe that John Bonet, due to her beauty pageant experience, could have attracted the attention of child pornographers and pedophiles. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. The investigation did reveal that there were over a hundred burglaries in the Ramsey neighborhood in the months before the murders, and there were actually thirty-eight registered sex offenders living within a two-mile radius 38? of the home. Yeah, two miles. Thirty-eight. And like you're considering these are all like fairly large houses and mansions, like <laughs> it's pretty interesting. <laughs> I know when I read that I was like, yikes. <laughs> Kind of makes you wonder how many are in your neighborhood. I don't want to. I live in an apartment <laughs> building. Can you imagine? There's so many people in a small area. Jesus. So Bill McReynolds, he's the Santa. He played at the Ramsey's Christmas party that was only three days earlier. That's something to keep in mind. Some people think that maybe some of the stuff was gathered at this party or something like that. You know what I mean? There was only a party three days earlier, I guess. But he played the Santa three years in a row. So this is his third year. He had... Been given a tour of the house this year. So he. Sorry, this wasn't a pedophile. He was not a pedophile. Okay. But I'm about to get into some weird shit. Okay. I'm warning you. <laughs> so he had been given a tour of the house. So he was familiar with its complicated layout. And he had actually written John Bonet a Christmas card saying that Santa would be giving her a special present after Christmas. Hmm. Now we're going to get into some weird shit. On the exact same day in 1974, Bill's nine-year-old daughter had been abducted with a friend and had witnessed the sexual molestation of that friend. In 1976, two years later, Bill's wife, Janet, actually wrote a play in which a young girl was molested, tortured, murdered, and left in a basement. Interesting. It's also reported that John Bonet kept talking about how Santa was going to pay her a special visit after Christmas. She said that to multiple people. Huh. Bill died in 2002. There's no other mention of him ever. So that's just one suspect. Interesting. Suspicious. Very. <laughs> Very weird. <laughs> so the next suspect is Linda Hoffman Pugh. Now, she was the housekeeper for the Ramses and was the first person that they suspected. That was the first name they spit out. She already had a key to the house. And her story's actually changed a fuck ton since this all happened. She did write about her experience in some type of article, and there's one specific section that is essentially her, like, providing information on how Patsy did it. She clearly doesn't have much respect for the Ramsey family, doesn't really like them. She just paints, like, a really, really negative light of them. And she did call Patsy a few days before the murder, saying that she needed a she needed money or she was going to get evicted. Hmm. Was she still working for them? Yeah, 
Okay. And in other writings of hers, she did call John Bonet a sm- spoiled brat and had lots of more words to say about the family that were not so nice. Mm. That's a little shaky, but this one's a weird one. So there's this guy named Michael Helgoth, and they suspect him because the Ramses had actually hired a private investigator at one point, and his name is Ollie Gray. And after they no longer worked with Ollie anymore, he still continued to work on the case just on the side. And so he claims that John Bunny's killer is this 26-year-old man named Michael Helgoth, and his family owned a junkyard in the outskirts of the city. Now, a man named John Kennedy, I know there's a lot of names here, Mm -hmm. but a man named John Kennedy, he used to work for Michael Helgoth. And he came forward and said that there was a tape recording made by Michael, and he confesses to killing John Bonet. Mm. A month before the murder, John Kennedy said that Michael was starting to brag about coming into $60,000 and called it, and I quote, a killer deal. He also said that once Michael said, I wonder what it would be like to crack a human skull. Okay. After this statement, he had told people around him that his flashlight was missing and that it was his most prized possession. Was that after the murder? Yes. When they probably already released that there was a flashlight? Maybe. Mm. So Boulder police wouldn't listen to Ollie Gray about Michael at all. But then on February 13th, 1997, this isn't long after the murder... Alex Hunter, who was the DA at the time, held a press conference and he spoke to John Bonet's unknown killer. And he said, the list of suspects narrows. Soon there will be no one on the list but you. And he's just trying to like siphon out John Bonet's killer, right? But Michael Helgoth was found two days later from apparent suicide in his own home. Hmm. John Kennedy obviously believes that he was murdered by his accomplice as the gun was actually found on Michael's right side. But the bullet actually went from left to right. Hmm. So a little weird. When Helgoth was, or when Michael was found, he had a stun gun in his hand. And there were a pair of high-tech boots found in his room with a shoe print similar to the one found at the scene. But investigators dismissed the boot print because it was actually the wrong size. Hmm. Years later, they tested Michael's DNA and there was no match. Hmm. So maybe somebody offed him to make it look like it was him. In yeah, order to cover their own tracks. Maybe. So the last one for the intruder theory is a guy named Todd Fuse. Now, this one's related to Michael, a 68-year-old woman named Bernice Johnson. She's actually currently locked up in prison at the Denver Women's Correctional Facility. She believes that her former partner and baby daddy, Todd Fuse, was involved in JonBenet's murder as well. Bernice believes that Todd had help and that that person is Michael Helgoff. And Bernice says very similar things to John Kennedy, that Todd was also breaking about coming into money around Christmas. Now, Todd is mentioned in an A&E documentary called Hunting JonBenet's Killer, the unstory, Untold Story. I also watched that documentary. And they do talk about how Todd actually was involved in the pageant circuit. And when they interviewed him, he wasn't ridiculously clear if he had never met John Benny Ramsey before. It was like a little iffy. So you can di- deep dive into that theory on him, but they did test his DNA and it's not a match either. Hmm. Interesting as well. Very. So I I get why people think the intruder theory could be something. Yeah. Because like the Santa thing is weird. But wouldn't you be able to test the handwriting on the card that he gave her? Yeah. And like, would it be normal for him to pay her a visit? Or maybe he was just being like, Santa will see you soon and not necessarily him. Yeah. 
That's what I kind of got when I heard that. I was like, well, he's Santa. Yeah. And it's two days before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So, like, Santa's paying her a visit because she's six. Yeah. So. Seems all right. Seems legit. Yeah, like, (laughs) it seems like a normal Santa. I don't know. But, like, the play thing is, like. That's messed up. But also it was his wife, right? That was his wife. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the wife did it. I don't know. That whole story is super weird. So what happened to the housekeeper after? There's nothing about her. It's just yeah. bye-bye. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Very weird. She obviously hates the Ramses. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. Like, I would be curious to see what type of person she is and if she had issues with other families as well or if it really was, like, a messed up family and she's telling the truth. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good thought. And then about, like, one thing that's always kind of, like, bugged me is they say that JonBenet's, like, vaginal area was wiped with a cloth. But to me, that makes me, like, wonder if, like, Patsy or John actually did get up and mm-hmm. see her when she wet the bed. Yeah. And, like, just wiped her and, like, didn't that's put new underwear on her. Yeah. Like, it seems weird to wipe and then not put fresh underwear on your daughter, mm-hmm. I guess. But, like, maybe it's, like, a blonde moment and you're just, like, I don't know, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, yeah, that like, it's a possibility, at least, is what I'm saying, is that, mm. but I don't know why you wouldn't just say, like, yeah, I got up, put her back to bed, and then she went missing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, the DNA thing is hard, because, like, they haven't found a match yet, and for people who believe the family theory, they really go off on, like, what that means because of the DNA, and mm. that, like, there's just traces, or, like, you know, it's a cover-up, or whatever they might try to think of it, but I don't know. That is one thing that really... <laughs> How could it be a cover-up? Like, they were... (laughs) If it was a cover-up, they could have done so many other things better. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Instead of adding these two drops of blood to the underwear. Yeah. Hmm. Makes no sense. No. So there was a person named Alexis Valerin Reich, and this was a 41-year-old elementary school teacher, and they were arrested in Bangkok, Thailand, on August 15th, 2006. And she falsely confessed to murdering JonBenet. She had, like, an attention thing? I think so. So she had actually been previously known as John Mark Carr, but had come out as a transgendered woman since JonBenet's death. So she claimed that she drugged, sexually assaulted, and accidentally killed JonBenet. But she only provided, like, basic facts that were in the media, basically what we're doing now. And they did a toxicology report at the time of JonBenet's autopsy, and there was just, like, no drugs in her body at all. Mm. DNA was taken, there was no match, and it was not taken further absolutely at all. So I guess that's the last... I didn't even put them in the suspect list because to me that's not a suspect. That's yeah. just someone for attention. Hmm. There are numerous defamation lawsuits, like I said, from the Ramses. The most recent one being the 2016 one that Burke's lawyers filed um, accusing CBS of defamation. So they did seek $250 million in compensatory damages and $500 million in punitive damages. Jesus. And they did settle, but they haven't released the amount. So I don't, I can't see it being $750 million. How old is he now? So he'd be like Mm. 34-ish. So Patsy was diagnosed with stage four ovarian cancer, actually in 1993. So even before John Benny's death at age 36. But after treatment, she was actually in remission for nine years until it came back in 2002. Unfortunately, Patsy did succumb to the illness and she died from ovarian cancer at age 49 on June 24th, 2006. And she is buried next to John Benny. I did see online that there was apparently a safe in the room where John Benny was found. 
John stated it was empty and never used, but just for the intruder theory, I wonder, like, makes you wonder, like, they had that Christmas party. Did someone see that safe and something happened? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. just interesting that they're... But also, why would you keep it in your kid's room? No, no, no. Like, a safe in the room she was found. Oh. So, they kept their Christmas presents there. Okay. So, three days before the murder, there still would have been Christmas presents in there. Mm-hmm. So, like... Very curious to know if someone was, like, snooping around, like, opened that door, saw the Christmas presents, was like, oh, my saw God, yay, safe. saw the safe. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just something to kind of think about. Yeah. Now, I'm sure people have wondered why we haven't mentioned the SBTC. There's an insane amount of theories. The most popular one is that it is stands for Saved by the Cross, which is a church statement. And some reports say that that initials sbtc was actually written on a hat that michael helgoth owned so a little interesting if that ends up being true so after patsy's death this is just a fun fact it was reported that john actually met and was going on a few dates with beth holloway now she's the mother of missing girl natalie holloway that is very popular. She went missing in 2005 when she was 18 on a school trip in Aruba. She's never been Ooh, found. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yep. So they actually went on a few dates. John downplayed it a lot, saying that they just shared common interests due to like their history. Um, but I just thought that was interesting to yeah. add in. That's like the most in, that was the most recent news on him, I guess. And I did mention this to Nikki before we recorded, but there is a very weird conspiracy theory out there that Katy Perry is actually Jean Benet Ramsey. <laughs> It makes absolutely no sense because Katy Perry is like six years older than her. Um, But someone actually did like a facial match and there was like a strong match, I guess. But like, I don't obviously believe that. I don't really see it. But I guess like I'm only seeing the image of her on those like covers of magazines. But yeah, if you do look at it, like I can see why someone would think that. But like, Hmm. come on. Interesting. Katy Perry thought probably thinks that's so (laughs) funny. She's probably like, what do people come up with? So that's essentially the case. That's like a big, like... Mindfuck. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. I was like, <laughs> do I swear? And then I remembered I already sweared. So it's fine. <laughs> so, huh. It's probably like the most, one of the most popular cases. It's completely unsolved. In my opinion, I don't think it'll ever be solved. Mm-hmm. Um, Burke did come out and do, uh, uh, he went on the Phil show. Um, Dr. Phil show. The Phil show. Dr. Phil did show. You, did he seem trustworthy? No, I hated it. I mm. didn't think so. You can watch it on YouTube. I will. He it, he just it, he's totally vague the whole time and doesn't answer mm. anything directly. There's nothing like that really comes out of it. That's that interesting. Mm. I haven't watched it in a while. I didn't even bother before the podcast cuz yeah. to me I don't remember anything even coming out of it. I just remember being like, I think you kind of just look guilty. Mm-hmm. But I think you would just go into stuff sometimes like really biased, right? But like also like if so say it was the family, like if one of them did accidentally kill her, like, to have everybody cover it up? You'd think there'd be one person in the family that would be, like... I don't know. I guess, like, in their heads, they, like, if it was someone in the family, mm-hmm. like, that, yeah, like, it's that's a crazy, insane cover-up. Yeah. Patsy's passed, so, like, two-thirds of the secret yeah. holders. Now, Burke is really young, right? So, like, you know, we don't really know... Mm-hmm what is up with him right like does he really remember anything yeah i don't like i don't know about you i don't remember a fuck ton of shit from when i was nine and obviously i think that whole event was probably very traumatic for him oh for sure whether he was involved or not it's traumatic it's still traumatic yeah 
So, like, he's in constant scrutiny. Like, people know what he looks like and, you know what I mean? Like, he's not, he's essentially, like, famous. But I also think that'd be hard as a, like, he was nine, right? Yeah. It would be hard as a nine-year-old kid to fathom, like, keeping something like that secret. Like, if you did know something about it, right? Yeah. I would think a nine-year-old kid might tell a friend or somebody. Is someone gonna, if it is a secret, is someone gonna finally reveal it like Mm. if the family was involved it wasn't a deathbed confession out of patsy or like find out where like to me like police work like where was this flashlight sold and how many were uh you know like i'm thinking csi like (laughs) yeah (laughs) where like finding out who bought this flashlight to begin with yeah it was like a pretty big like industrial like black flashlight and they were sure that she was struck by it or they just it's not confirmed but they think she is It kind of, like, lines up because it was, like, wiped down. It was a shoddy police investigation. Totally. Yeah. But in that one documentary that they Burke sued them over um, that I watched, they use the same type of flashlight. And it does create, like, a very almost mm-hmm. exactly the same head wound. I hope they got some new detectives in their department after this. Yeah, no shit. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? No, I can't imagine. Like, if you wanted to get away with murder, go to Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Actually, most of my cases I've set up for this year and the ones I did last year are all very shoddy police investigation work. <laughs> but I guess they're not really interesting unless something went wrong, right? That's true, yeah. Even, like, yeah, this case is just baffling. I really hope that we do find out at some point, but just from... I would love to know. I would love to know what actually happened because I'm not completely against the intruder theory. I yeah, would... No, the, for sure. The only part of the intruder theory that doesn't make sense to me, there's two parts. One, how did they get in? Because yeah. only that one investigator said that there was a door open. He was the only person I ever found that said that there was a door open. Mm-hmm. So if there was, in fact, a door open, then of course an intruder could have came in. Yeah. And of course, maybe something did happen and he accidentally took it too far and the ransom note was lifted and he he totally messed up everything and maybe his boss shot him in the head because he was so mad at him for ruining this thing or like whatever but also like we said before what kind of detective tells the father and his friend to go look for evidence in the house (laughs) like that's your job like go look for the evidence you keep the people (laughs) in one room and like why didn't she go with them yeah be like okay let's start upstairs let's like go through each room together did they pay the detectives off who knows? At this point, I'll take anything. But could you imagine going through your whole rest of your life with that suspicion of, like, you knowing that, like, half the world probably thinks you're guilty and half the world may may or may not? And that's probably why Burke came across very weird on the Dr. Phil show is because, like, he knew going into that, that no matter what he said, people were still going to believe that it was him. Yeah. People were commenting on the video being like, LOL, it's still you, probably. <laughs> and, like, he probably hasn't been able to lead a very normal life. No. Like, try getting a job when your name's Burke Ramsey. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, but he could sell some flashlights. Like, if someone Googled, if someone found him on Tinder and was like, oh my god, I met this nice new guy named Burke Ramsey from Boulder, Colorado. (laughs) That would be me. I'd be like, Burke Ramsey? I don't know Burke Ramsey. (laughs) You do a Google search and you're like, oh my god, yikes. That's messed. Yeah. It's messed up. It's a very messed up case. So I thought I'd start 2022 with it, I guess. (laughs) Well, at least it wasn't as gruesome as some of your other ones. I'm okay for that. No. I mean, there's one gruesome part, but, you know, some of the other ones are a little tough to... Very. I have a few on my list this year that are pretty bad. But 
you know, you want to give acknowledgement to the mm-hmm. cases, right? So yeah. as much as this one already has a lot of investigators already on it, um, definitely if anyone wants to look more into this case, there is so much out there that <laughs> you can listen and read to. So if you feel like it, then obviously go ahead. There are really great podcasts out there on Jean Benet Ramsey that I checked out. So yeah, definitely check them out if you want to. But thank you for listening to episode 19 of Murder Sandwich, a true crime and mystery podcast. Happy New Year again to everyone. And we are back to regular scheduled episodes every two weeks. We do have an Instagram at Murder Sandwich Podcast. I am not naturally really great at posting on social media. So I will promise that I'm going to get more content on there for you guys. Um, It is one of my New Year's resolutions. I'm just not naturally a poster. I'm a watcher. I look at everyone's stuff, but I don't post very often. So yeah, message me on Instagram if you have any recommendations on cases you'd like to hear. And other than that, thank you, Nikki, so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Anytime. And we will see you in a couple weeks. Bye.